electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? I'm sick and tired of people pitting this whole rally on the Fed. Every time stocks go up, you get these legion of commentators come on air or get into papers who eagerly explain that the entire move is just an asset bubble engineered by the Federal Reserve's easy money policies. They know nothing! And it'll be rolled back the moment the Fed decides to tighten. No, no! Sell, sell, sell! That's pure idiocy! We gotta stamp it out! Tonight... The averages were all over the place today. Dow gaining 163 points. That's to be advancing 0.01%. The Nasdaq declining 0.49%. People don't like growth when you get this big kind of rally. But let me make one thing crystal clear. Business is good in this country, thanks to a host of ridiculously positive forces. And it's not just the Fed. Honestly, even within the government, the Fed's not the most important part of the equation at the moment. You've got retailers making fortunes from the child tax credit payments, the banks benefiting from the possibility of making more money with your deposits, and the industry's winning big from the infrastructure bill that just passed the Senate. These forces are gigantic, people. They dwarf all this talking nonsense about Fed tapering or short-term interest rates. That's especially true for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is now stalled in the House of Representatives. But I think it'll ultimately become law perhaps sooner than you think. How significant is this legislation? I think we break form tonight and go straight to the source, to the man who runs the largest deal maker in America, because he knows what this bill means better than anybody. Let's go to Leon Topalian. He's the CEO of Nucor to find out what the infrastructure package means for his company and for our entire country. Mr. Topalian, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here with you today. Okay, this is a nice day for Nucor because your stock led the S&P. It was almost up 10% as Nucor is uniquely involved with infrastructure. Can you please tell us the importance of this act and the importance of it to Nucor? You know, today was a significant day for our nation, Jim. Seeing a bipartisan support and approval through the Senate is such a huge step. And I would tell you, my 25 years in this industry, we are as close to having a meaningful infrastructure bill in this nation 
And as Newcore sees it, Jim, it's really through a lens of three things. It's about America's safety, America's competitiveness, and lastly, the resurgence of American manufacturing. If we've learned anything through this pandemic, it's that this nation must be a nation that makes and builds things here in America. And Newcore is poised uh, to, to benefit and help rebuild the crumbling infrastructure around our country. Now, I know your predecessors always were building the whole time. I've even questioned your predecessors saying, you know what, unless we get some sort of infrastructure, this is going to be for naught, especially if the Chinese are allowed to continue to dump steel in our in our country. Well, it looks like you, you, you guys were visionaries. The Chinese stopped. We stopped them. And the mills that you built in the last few years, they really play in this infrastructure bill very, very closely, don't they? They, they play amazingly well. And, and again, the investment strategy for a long time was to continue and invest in the down cycles to create higher highs and higher lows. So the mills that are coming up online now are benefiting from that. We have an amazing team, as you well know, Jim, across Nucor, and uh, again, poised to, to continue to help rebuild this country. Now, uh, some of the big uh, areas, uh, roads and bridges, power grid, rail, broadband, water, airports. You could be in every single one of those, right? Absolutely. We, we do. And, and, you know, the other thing, Jim, is you think about kind of the global impact of infrastructure. Who better to build and rebuild in the infrastructure as well as the green economy than the most efficient steel producers in the world, which is the United States? And, and, and again, Nucor is one of the many leaders of that movement. Today, 70 percent of what the United States makes from steel is from recycled scrap. If you think about the rest of the world, it's about 27 percent, and China is 9 percent. So we are the cleanest steelmakers on the planet, and again, poised and ready to go. And if you think about the investment China's making, last year alone, they spent $8 trillion on infrastructure. We have got to stay competitive as a nation, and we're going to continue as a company to invest uh, in, in our teams, in growth, and uh, continue to, to uh, you know, um, build out Nucor's vision. Okay, so, Leon, uh, our country did a great disservice to our American working people by allowing everybody to dump steel. Uh, do you think there is any chance that we repeal the tariffs and allow them to dump again because people are saying that steel's gotten too expensive? You know, Jim, look, at the end of the day, 232 and the tariffs that were implemented in 2018 were not uh, going to be a long-term lever. And so they're going to go away at some point. What I would tell you, and if we think about the, the imports that hit our shores in 2015-16, spiked to nearly 30%. In that time, we only had about 50 cases that the industry had won against countries that dumped like China. Today, there's 110. We are in a much better position to ensure um, the strength of the steel industry and American manufacturing is maintained. Now, I keep trying to tell people when you see Nucor selling at 5.9 times earnings, that is wrong. Nucor is a growth stock. It is not a cyclical. And you are going to end up seeing multiple years of Nucor stock going up. Is it not true, sir, that you have very few cyclical characteristics versus the other steels and the idea that you're trading at what Bethlehem Steel was trading before it went bankrupt is a pretty absurd valuation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, again, as you well know, Bethlehem's no longer here, right? They, they went out of business and closed. You know, I think there are three things that are really important that have changed the face of the industry over the last couple of years. Number one is trade that we talked about. Two is our consolidation in the industry has been significant. And three is rationalization. We've seen a much 
broader rationalization of steel products that are being made. And again, I think you're going to see our industry um, that Nucor leads continue to trade at higher multiples. And we should. We should be trading at a much higher multiple than where we sit today. And it's even like today, where you close a billion dollar acquisition that to me doesn't sound cyclical at all. It's Cornerstone property. Absolutely. We're excited about welcoming that team to our Nucor family. And the $1 billion acquisition of Cornerstone gives us a market leadership position in the insulated metal panel business that is going to continue to grow. It's not a cyclical nature like steel. And that's part of our mission statement is to be, expand beyond using the strength of our balance sheet, the amazing team to leverage the greatest of Nucor into further downstream opportunities like Cornerstone. And I don't know if people understand it, but when you build a plant, what is the multiplier effect? Because you build plants where nobody else is willing to go. Yeah, you know, Jim, as we think about it, for every job Nucor creates, there's four to five indirect jobs that are created. So in our Brandenburg facility, there's going to be about four to 500 permanent Nucor team members. When we think about the multiplier on that, we're talking about thousands of team members that are going to get the opportunity to be a part and benefactor for long term. And if you think about Nucor's Average annual salary for our team members, it's approaching $100,000 a year. So we're paying really well. And uh, again, and it's poised times like these for Nucor to continue to, uh, to lead the pack. The only thing that I was concerned about in this otherwise unbelievable quarter is when I see a plant operating 118% of rated capacity, I wonder if it can keep that up because that's extraordinary, sir. It is. And, and, you know, Jim, if you look across the portfolio, we have some of our plants running out of capacity, but many have the opportunity to continue to increase that in the utilization rates. But one of the greatest strengths of Nucor is we can rationalize internally and we can shift products from one mill to the next to continue to meet the demands, including a meaningful infrastructure bill. So we're going to have to continue to increase our output to meet the demands and Nucor is ready. Now, if, despite the fact that the stock has been very strong and you guys are doing so much right, I was surprised you bought 6.75 million shares back at $91. You have great analysis of where your stock has been in other big cycles. That, to you, sir, seems like a bargain? Absolutely. You know, Jim, at the end of the day, we have an amazing financial team. Our uh, CFO, Jim Frias, does an amazing job. Um, And we have an intrinsic value model that we look and we think really long about how do we best return that 40 percent back to shareholders, either through share repurchases or dividends. And so we're going to continue to look at that and understanding where that value is. But as we think about growth and we think about the opportunity, Nucor is going to continue to meet that uh, meet that reinvestment back to our shareholders. Well, Leon, I really want to thank you for coming on today and putting everything in perspective. This is an incredibly important bill. Nucor probably being the, the single linchpin of what can make can happen here with infrastructure. So thank you for coming back to Mad Money. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. OK, that's Leon Tapali, and he is the C- CEO and president of Nucor. And uh my chapel trust owns it. I think it's going to be an amazing stock for the rest of the, rest of the year and more. And still to come, exclusive with Pioneer, perhaps the most inventive oil company, Revolve. And that's high fashion online and Eastman Chemical. Radical way to be able to recycle plastic. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Now that the price of crude appears to have peaked, at least for the moment, it's not enough to just own one of the better oil producers. You've got to have a couple of reasons to do so. So last week, longtime Kramer Fave Pioneer Natural Resources gave you a terrific one. When the company told us that it's moving up, it's planned to roll out a variable dividend. That's where they distribute a fixed percentage of their cash flow directly to investors. This wasn't supposed to happen until next year. But last week, Pioneer decided to implement the variable dividend this quarter. We're talking 75% of the post-dividend free cash flow, although it could go up to 80%. Now, why is this important? Because if you analyze the numbers, this could be the highest yielder or one of them in the S&P 500. No wonder the stock jumped nearly 8% last Thursday, even though the company only reported what many thinks an inline quarter. As long as the price of oil doesn't collapse, and I don't think it will, I bet this thing got a lot more room to run. So let's take a close look with Scott Sheffield, the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources, to learn more about the quarter and this fabulous variable dividend and his emphasis on ESG. Mr. Sheffield, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's always great to see you. Uh, we did have a great quarter. Uh, thank you for acknowledging the variable dividend. We've been talking about it for about 18 months, and we're excited to announce it. As you said, we moved it up to 75% of our free cash flow, a significant um, increase. If you look at the rest of the year, we're about an 8% dividend. If you look at um, 2022, we're about a 12% dividend. If you look over the next five years, it averages about 9% dividend. So it should put us at the top of all S&P 500 companies. Right, now, so the reason it goes down to nine right. is because the all strip does drop about $10 over the next five years. All right. So, Scott, how did you uh, 
come up with this and change the company. So you made two big acquisitions. You're flaring less than everyone. You're far more committed to ESG. You're really talking it, not just saying it. You're actually doing it. And yet you're also producing the best return. I mean, this is, you you know, I've always loved Pioneer, but this is pretty radical transformation. Yeah, Jim, I think I've mentioned this before on your show, but when I came back two years ago, I led the effort to, we had to stop the flaring in the Permian Basin. The Permian Basin was flaring over one BCF a day. It was worst in the country. Today, we got it down to about 200 million a day. Uh, it's down to mostly private companies, and we need to get the private companies to do what the publics are doing. So less than 1%. Uh, our break-even price has been lowered significantly. We're down to the high 20s, maybe $28, $29 a barrel. That's our break-even price. When you add the base dividend, it's about $31, $32. With two great accretive acquisitions, we've now doubled the size of the company, and now we're the largest producer in Texas and the largest producer in the Permian Basin. Now, your focus, let's talk about the focus on return. Uh, I remember there was a time, Pioneer, which was one of the, always a great company, but you did a lot of drilling. Now, you're still doing a lot of drilling, but you're far more considered about how much you drill versus how much you return. Is this a reaction to the fact that a lot of oil companies used to spend far more than they had, and therefore they went broke? Exactly, Jim. Uh, Pioneer never did go, go broke, but we've always had a great balance sheet. Uh, that's the most important in the oil and gas industry is always have a great balance sheet. And we did go out to all of our investor base. We got feedback. The model has to change. So we changed the model, and we're only uh, drilling with 50% of our cash flow. So we're running 24 rigs today. Uh, it's the most in the country of any producer. Uh, and we're going to be growing roughly about 5% over the next several years. But what's most important, we're only drilling with 50% of our cash flow, and we're going to disperse the rest of that cash flow back to the investor over the next several years. It's about $18 billion over the next five years. Now, you have a chart, uh, and it says break-even price below $30 demonstrates the resiliency. And you mentioned that around 2029. 20, How is that possible, sir? Most of these companies are $39, $40. Bucks. They have to, if, if oil's at 50 they're making nothing. Uh, it's easy, Jim, when you're focused on one basin. We're focused um, primarily, as you know, on the Midland Basin. We dominate the Midland Basin. We're focused on our break-even costs. We're, we're focused on reducing well costs. We've reduced well, all well costs over 40 to 50 percent over the last three years. So it's a combination of staying focused and getting uh, buy-in from your employees, tie-in compensation goals to your employees, uh, and we have a great attitude, a great set of employees, and the culture helps get it done to lower that break-even price. Now, when you made those acquisitions, a lot of people said, well, wait a second. I mean, everyone, no one else is making acquisitions. How can these be any – how can they be valuable? Is it the synergies, the one million acres? What made it so you could pay what you did and nobody else wanted to do it? Both, um, uh, both Parsley and Double Point were in our backyard. They were contiguous. Uh, we're, we're drilling 15,000 foot laterals now. So we had huge amount of synergies on both transactions, over $500 million per year, uh, significant increase, but been able to put your acreage together like a piece of puzzle. They fit in, in that jigsaw puzzle, both companies, 
and we're drilling a lot longer laterals. They're using our water system that we've used from the cities of Midland and Odessa. We're sharing tank batteries, so it's made it very, very easy to get those synergies. All right, now, you've got a couple of goals. You have a strong focus in ESG now, 25% reduction in greenhouse gas. And at the same time, you want to be the leader in diversity, equity, inclusion, benchmarking. Now, look, Scott, you know I've loved your company, but some of this is a new focus for the, at least if we went back 10 years, to the old pioneer. No, I think times have changed. Uh, One thing I've done in my history as CEO, you have to recognize change. And you have to move fast and be the leader. And that's what we're doing with diversity, with almost 50% of our executive leadership. The top 15 uh, are diverse uh, in our executive leadership. I bet you there's no other independent that has 50% executive leadership that's completely diverse. We're doing it at the board level, adding Lori Billingsley from Coca-Cola. She's an exciting new director to have on board. And we'll continue to move up our board percentages on diversity also. In regard to ESG, look forward to the next sustainability report coming out mid-September. We'll be significantly adding more goals and also reducing more and more emissions. Are you going to come on when you do that? I want you that day. At the same time, how are we doing Delta? You okay? Yes, we're fine. I'm trying to get the vaccination rates up out in West Texas. Uh, they're, They're a little bit more stubborn out there, but we're making progress uh, and we want to protect each employee's health. So we're trying to encourage. We're not, ma- we're not making it mandatory like a lot of companies that you talk to. We still pe- think people should have that right to make that decision, but we're trying to encourage it. We do not want people to get sick. And uh, last question, you know Exxon made some big changes, but I- a lot of times I feel it was done kicking and, s- and screaming, but they got there. Why didn't why did you not fight the trend where you had a lot of these investors like BlackRock saying these guys got to change? Why did you get ahead of it, Scott? I've been in the business too long, uh, Jim. So I'm probably the, uh, the longest serving CEO if you count the prior history. So sad to say, you know my age now, but uh, I've learned you got you have to lead and not wait. So you have to lead. You have to listen to your shareholders. We visit with them every year. We talk to them personally. Uh, Ken Thompson joins us, our non-executive chairman, our CFO, our president. Everybody visits the shareholders at least twice a year. Well, I am so glad because, you know, I hated to say it on air, but I felt you guys, the industry was uninvestable because you weren't doing these things. But then you went and did them, and now you're the leader in America. So I'm really proud of you, Scott. You really got it right. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. Now, think about this, people. He's got the best acreage. He's got the lowest cost, but he's got the best ESG, and he's got absolutely the best in emissions. It can be done. It isn't one or the other. You can do both. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, after a week that's tested investor resolve, can the street absolve Revolve's recent decline? Kramer's got the head honchos next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I always tell you to wait until the smoke clears before you make any hasty decisions during earnings season. And last week, we got a textbook example of why it pays to be patient. And this time, I'm talking about Revolve Group. Now, this is an online apparel retailer that's basically a leaner, smarter digital department store. It makes you feel like, why do we even have department stores? Last Thursday, Revolve reported a magnificent quarter. Sales up 60% year-over-year. Earnings came in double what the analysts were expecting. But because management only gave limited guidance and also made some cautious comments about COVID, it got hit with a pair of analyst downgrades, so the stock plunged 15%. This thing's had a huge run since we started getting positive vaccine data, and the newly bearish analysts decided this must be as good as it gets. Since then, though, the stock has erased more than half of its losses. So if you made a hasty decision, sold Revolve at last Thursday's lows, well, you're going to be kicking yourself. If this wasn't the last great quarter, then the stock could have a lot more on the run. Do not take it from me, but let's check in with Mike Karen Nicolas and Michael Mente, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Revolve Group. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Okay, Michael Mente. Michael Mente, I'm going to start with you. Uh, can you please refute right up front the idea, because it's such an amazing quarter, that it can't get any better than this? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, the recent volatility is really just, you know, you know, goes uh, with the territory for being, you know, a high performing, uh, high growth stock. But we're still flowing extremely well. The business is on fire. And as you said, I think you put it, you know, you know, as you know, dead on when you're saying, like, you know, why do we need department stores before? This is kind of, you know, legacy retail, still has a lot of the market, slowly, slowly, you know, seeing that to us over the long term. We've already seen, you know, some of you know the most epic, you know, retailers of previous generations declare bankruptcy. And I still think that, you know, we're still incredibly small compared to the overall market. And we've shown this incredible, consistent ability to grow for you know, decades at a time. And I think with this big cycle, we're in the beginning of a, a new awesome run as we continue to connect with the millennial consumer and Gen Z. They're entering their time spending years and you know, we'll, be, uh, we'll be engaged for many, many decades to come. Right, so, Mike, I'm talking to my wife about this and a lot of people in the office use you guys, but she didn't know. Forward is you guys. Now, Forward is the first actual high-end luxury brand I have seen that is not on Fifth Avenue or Madison Avenue. So, I mean, how did you have this idea to do this, Mike? And were you shocked at yourself at the spectacular results that you're getting? Yeah, as bullish as we were on the forward business, the results we had in Q2 absolutely floored us. And a really big driver of it was actually increasing the awareness of forward in part, in large part, through introducing it to our Revolve customers. And and, and your wife's comment shows we still have a lot of work to do. We have less than 5% overlap with our Revolve customer base. But a big driver in the quarter was the launch of the forward loyalty program, which we combined with the Revolve loyalty program. It really allowed us to get in front of a lot of Revolve customers. We saw an immediate increase in trajectory and overlap. And actually over 30 points of growth in the quarter came from that increase in overlap with Revolve customers alone. But with less than 5% overlap, there's still a ton of headway to continue to grow that business. All right, so, Mike, let me stick with you for a second. I think the fact that you mentioned that there were issues with Apple iOS freaked people out. But aren't those issues things that can be worked out rather quickly? 
Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I think I confused some people with, with my comments because yes. the net impact on Twitter was, was essentially nothing. Um, but at the same time, there are changes going on. It's something that we're dealing with. It's something that other retailers are dealing with. And so we wanted to make sure people were, were aware of it and that it's a situation we're monitoring and that poses risk to, to any online retailer. But I, I think a very manageable one, uh, particularly because as we saw those changes come in and uh, it impacts some subsegments of the iOS advertising market. The, the negative impact was uh, equally offset by gains we saw in other segments of the iOS advertising market. Okay, good. I'm glad we cleared that up because I really kind of felt like that everyone freaked out, except for me, because everyone else has, freaked this, has figured this out. Michael Mente, yeah. I want to go with my wife to Bermuda, Tulum, and the Amalfi Coast for your shows. Now, I actually went to, to Milan Fashion Week. I mean, are you guys doing what I think a lot of people really want to do, is make it a destination to go to one of your shows? Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, these, you know, these shows are, you know, a little bit more, you know, we view them a little bit more as like real life, but, you know, editorial advertising. I think that previous generations of fashion, you would see these beautiful images, you know, in a magazine about this lifestyle that you really wanted. But now, of course, in, in the social media age, we can really show the lifestyle that a customer wants to live, you know, to our entire customer base and keep inspiring her with exciting things to do and of course you know beautiful clothes to wear when you're doing those awesome things with your you know family and friends well michael aren't you surprised that the brick and mortar retailers haven't just adopted your model i mean their model is kind of broken that's you know i'm surprised yes and also not surprised at all in a sense you know it's crystal clear that you know this is the way to go we've seen you know plenty of uh you know true you know, failures and deaths of, you know, competitors that were once, you know, very, very important competitors that I would have shopped at, you know, growing up and such. So, you know, it's pretty clear, but I think this is also classic, you know, innovator's dilemma. It's really hard to disrupt yourself from within an organization. I think a lot of times it really just takes that fresh outside perspective. And, you know, we were built from the ground up in eco, you know, with a digital kind of, you know, retail perspective. We have deep technology and data roots that you really just can't purchase you can't build overnight you have to really you know develop these systems develop the culture develop you know the organizational structure and just like the desire to operate a certain way so i think this is you know the great thing about this is that it's not a quick disruption it's a decades-long disruption you know there's tens of billions of dollars of revenue shop you know in the older in a way with you know physical stores and i think with the pandemic we're seeing that uh you know, shopping is different. The consumer is different. You know, we've accelerated our growth, and I think we're positioned better than we ever have with a long runway to go. It truly seemed like that. Mike, uh, COVID, in, again, there's a little confusion about COVID on the call, which is that you said that now that uh, the pandemic's receding, it's better than ever. But then people were thinking, well, wait a second. Isn't a, a, a place that you go online a place that you go during a pandemic? Kind of confused that are they both great for you? I mean, it was an odd moment in the call. Yeah, I, I think from a long-term perspective, the, the continued shift to online is great for us. But one thing that's very important to understand about the Revolve brand, which people that aren't as familiar with this don't understand, is that we're all about customers living their best life, going out, having fun, socializing, traveling, uh, partying. And those things don't match so well with the pandemic. And, and so uh, we actually saw our revenues impacted in, in the prior year, in, in 2020, as a result um, but now that things are opening up again, it, it's been fantastic for us, and we think it's going to continue to be so. Now, there is some risk from 
from the Delta variant, but we've seen progressively with each wave of, of COVID, both in the U.S. as well as international territories, the impact on consumer behavior has become less and less with each wave. No, definitely. I, you're absolutely right, because when I look at the stuff, it's like stuff you really want to wear out. Uh, Michael Mente, last question with you. I'm listening to what you guys are saying. I'm looking at your stuff. I'm thinking about what happened with Zappos. I'm thinking that like one day what will happen is, is that you'll get a phone call from Andy Jassy saying, you know what, you guys are our fashion people. We're buying you. What do you do if you get the call from Jassy from Amazon? Michael Mente, what do you do? We've been in the space for a long time. And, and, you know, Amazon's acquired our greatest competitor, you know, you know, in 2006. So we've really enjoyed competing against them. They are, you know, being out the best of us and we're very, very competitive. I think a hard press for them to really understand, you know, the, the vast scope of our vision. We're trying to build one of the biggest online fashion platforms and one of the most you know, beloved fashion brands, you know, of this generation. And I think that, you know, that vision and those desires are, are quite unique to us. So we're very, very committed to the long-term independent future. We have a clear vision with a clear roadmap of, you know, what we can become. We've been doing this for, you know, almost 20 years, but fortunately we started getting, you know, quite young. So we're young, focused, energetic, and now armed with, you know, capital, you know, uh, a lot of experience and um, a strong desire to win. So, We'd be very open-minded to talk to anyone, but it seems very unlikely that anyone would be able to get us to deviate from our vision. Gotcha. All right, Michael Mente, Mike Karanokoulis, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Great story. I'm so glad you guys came on. I've been intrigued from day one about you guys. This was sensational. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, is it time to hook your portfolio up with a little chemical romance? Kramer's got the inside look on Eastman Chemical. Next. Maybe you can describe to our viewers why this is a seminal agreement. Yeah, so getting Procter & Gamble or LVMH or Estee Lauder and a bunch of other iconic brands, we're over 20 now, they're really engaged in what we're doing on this environmental technology. Uh, We're providing a way to take waste plastic out of the environment and today, if you think about waste plastic, it's mechanically recycled. Um, and, you know, that's the traditional way to do it. They get clear bottles, they chop it up, they melt it, and they turn it back into other bottles or more often textiles. What we're doing, as you mentioned, is molecular recycling. And molecular recycling is more fundamental. What we do is we take waste plastic, the 70% that can't be mechanically recycled, that ends up in landfill. And we basically, especially with polyester, which is our leading technology, we unzip that polymer with a little bit of chemistry and purify it, uh, then rebuild the polymer back, and it's identical to the current polymer. So for P&G, that's incredibly important because they don't want to compromise the quality of the product on the shelf, but they're highly committed to making the environment better in both recycled plastic and getting that out of the environment and doing it at a lower carbon footprint. And this technology allows us to take one step to take plastic out of the environment and turn it back into their products and no compromise in the performance, and we do it with 20 to 30% less uh, carbon footprint. But where do you get Because we're avoiding the all of that journey from, from people discovering oils, refining like, it, et cetera. We are terrible recyclers in this country. How are you able yeah. to get this stuff and then make it happen? Because to me, this is the holy grail. Right now, we just know that a plastic bottle is going to be in a landfill. It just because we always realize that Americans don't recycle right. How can you either right. change our behavior or how does it matter even if we don't change our behavior? Well, what's exciting right now um, is that consumers are really energized, and so are the brands, in solving this challenge. We actually wanted to build this technology a decade ago. Uh, In fact, Kodak invented this technology four decades ago, and that's also why the brands like us is they know we have established this technology, and they know that with our operational technical capability, we can do it. 
So with the consumers, we have to get them motivated. And there's so much waste plastic out there. And today it ends up at landfill. So we can put value on that and, and encourage people to invest and develop it because today it, it's just waste. Uh, so we're changing the whole game around recycling. So not just the mechanical recycling that gets good value right now, but all this 70% that ends up being thrown away, we're, tra- we're, we're turning that back into a, a circular economy. And we think of it as creating sort of a new frontier of circular polymers you know, as we eliminate this fossil fuel industry. There have been so many good chemical earnings. For instance, last Monday, we got a terrific order from Eastman Chemical, the specialty materials company that makes all sorts of cool stuff, films, additives, adhesives, and coatings for housing, autos, and aerospace. They also make crop protection products, and you can find their plastics all over the place. I recommend this one in June because there's just not enough supply, and they're a part of the chemical industry, and that imbalance will not be resolved anytime soon, which is why their stock's so good. Plus, Eastman's come up with, and this is what I want to talk about, a molecular recycling technology that makes recycled plastics a lot more lucrative. However, when the company reported a classic beaten raise last week, the stock actually actually got hit. It wasn't until a few days later when Bank of America upgraded Eastman from hold to buy that it rebounded. Even now, though, the stock's only up about two bucks since it reported, despite raising its full-year earnings forecast by an astounding 50 cents. Now, if thing trades at 13 times earnings, I think it should be worth six, five, at least five or six bucks more than it's trading for. I think, in other words, the stock's a steal. So let's dig deeper with Mark Costis, the chairman and CEO of Eastman Chemical. Find out more about the quarter and his vision for the future. Mr. Costis, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to talk to you, Jim. And it's really great to be here to talk about what we're doing with the company and how we're creating a lot of growth for our owners. Well, you know, Mark, I, I'm tempted. To, there, there's a big infrastructure package and you guys have unbelievable businesses in that building and construction, which should be relevant in transportation, retail. Uh, but I do want to drill down for something that you're pioneering, which is the molecular research that is going to let us have for the first time a true circular economy. Not greenwashing, but the real deal. Can you explain what you've got going that is extraordinary that people don't know about? Yeah, absolutely. So Eastman, you know, this is probably the most exciting time I can think of for Eastman and our teams and and the opportunities we have to grow right now. And we're really establishing ourselves as a environmental technology leader. Um, And it's uh, really exciting. We've been on a transformation for the last decade to uh, becoming a real specialty materials company. And part of that's big portfolio changes. We sold off a bunch of commodities. We bought a bunch of very high margin, high growth specialties and really improved not just the earnings, but the cash flow quality of the company. And importantly, underneath of it all, we've built this innovation engine. And we're really focused on what we think of as the triple challenge. You know, for a long time, we've had a moral purpose about how do we improve the quality of life in a material way. And we've extended that in the last decade around how to impact climate and now how to actually reduce plastic waste in all the innovation that we do. Well, uh, we've got products that are BPA. I, one of the things I think is important is that you got to deal with Procter & Gamble this week, which I regard as being the most important agreement that I have seen for getting rid of plastic waste. Maybe you can describe to our viewers why this is a seminal agreement. Yeah, so getting Procter & Gamble or LVMH or Estee Lauder and a bunch of other iconic brands, we're over 20 now, they're really engaged in what we're doing on this environmental technology. Uh, we're providing a way to take waste plastic out of the environment. And today, if you think about waste plastic, it's mechanically recycled. Um, and, you know, that's the traditional way to do it. They get clear bottles, they chop it up, they melt it, and they turn it back into other bottles or more often textiles. 
What we're doing, as you mentioned, is molecular recycling. And molecular recycling is more fundamental. What we do is we take waste plastic, the 70% that can't be mechanically recycled, that ends up in landfill. And we basically, especially with polyester, which is our leading technology, we unzip that polymer with a little bit of chemistry and purify it, uh, then rebuild the polymer back, and it's identical to the current polymer. So for P&G, that's incredibly important because they don't want to compromise the quality of the product on the shelf, but they're highly committed to making the environment better in both recycled plastic and getting that out of the environment and doing it at a lower carbon footprint. And this technology allows us to take one step to take plastic out of the environment and turn it back into their products and no compromise in the performance. And we do it with 20 to 30 percent less uh, carbon footprint. But where do because you we're get avoiding the all of that journey from, from people discovering oil, refining like, it, et cetera. We are terrible recyclers in this country. How are you able yeah. to get this stuff and then make it happen? Because to me, this is the holy grail. Right now, we just know that a plastic bottle is going to be in a landfill. It just because we always realize that Americans don't recycle right. How can you either right. change our behavior or how does it matter even if we don't change our behavior? Well, what's exciting right now um, is that consumers are really energized, and so are the brands, in solving this challenge. We actually wanted to build this technology a decade ago. Uh, in fact, Kodak invented this technology four decades ago, and that's also why the brands like us is they know we have established this technology, and they know that with our operational technical capability, we can do it. So with the consumers, we have to get them motivated. And there's so much waste plastic out there, and today it ends up at landfill, so we can put value on that. And, and encourage people to invest and develop it because today it, it's just waste. Uh, so we're changing the whole game around recycling. So not just the mechanical recycling that gets good value right now, but all this 70% that ends up being thrown away, we're, tra- we're, we're turning that back into a, a circular economy. And we think of it as creating sort of a new frontier of circular polymers you know, as we eliminate this fossil fuel industry. Well, can we possibly get at these gigantic... One day, do you think we can clean up the island of plastic in the Pacific using your molecular technology? Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of investment needed in infrastructure. So seeing the infrastructure bill passed today, for example, we hope it includes recycling infrastructure, support of the circular economy. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity to turn all of this waste back into an entirely new economy, you know, through this circular approach. All right, right, so our viewers are watching. How can they help or be involved? Because people hate plastic in this country, sir. People in their 20s and 30s think plastic is the enemy. How can they help us make it so it's not the enemy? Well, the, the thing about plastic, and you have to keep this in mind, is if you don't like plastic, you can be forced into other materials. Like in our world, a PET bottle, you know, soda or water bottle, could be made out of glass or aluminum. But what most people don't understand is that those technologies have a much higher carbon footprint, even with the higher recycling rates, because the energy intensity to make it the first time is so phenomenally high compared to plastic. So a lot of it's education. People need to understand that the answer here is recycle plastic, give it an infinite life, which we can do with our technology. Unlike mechanical, it's an infinite loop when you take it back to the building blocks and remake the polymer and at a lower carbon footprint. So we need consumers to get engaged. We need them to get excited about supporting this. And I think there's also a lot of government policy being developed across the country and in Europe where we're seeing a lot of incentives that will be put in place as well as requirements to really support this. All right, well, we are going to push for this on this show, sir, because I thought when I heard about this, this is our chance. It's not going to be the way it was because of what Eastman Chemical is doing. I want to thank Mark Costa, chairman and CEO. Got a lot of other businesses, but I appreciate you letting me drill down on this one because it's pretty amazing. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. 
So you get a company that's making a lot of money, but at the same time doing something that I think is going to make it so that we actually will not hate plastic in this country. Mad Money's back into the moon. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. Thanks for a great executive at this time. Well, obviously, you need to be a solid operator and you need vision. But beyond that, it really helps to have some showmanship. You don't have to be a magnificent showman to be a magnificent CEO. However, if you're trying to sell people something, it's that quality that might matter most. Take AMC, the heavily indebted movie theater chain. This morning on Squawk in the Street, we interviewed CEO Adam Aaron. Under his leadership, AMC has been able to avoid the jaws of death by harnessing the wild enthusiasm of its shareholder base in order to raise capital. With that money, the company can afford to stay alive as it waits for better days. Now, I've known Adam for years. He's a legend in the hospitality space, fellow Philadelphia, by the way. He successfully ran Norwegian Cruise Line, Vail Mountain Resorts, Starwood Hotels, and the Philadelphia 76ers, which he still co-owns. As you can imagine, turning AMC around is going to be his toughest challenge by far. Adam is a terrific showman, though. When we spoke to him this morning, he highlighted the fact that AMC is seeing tremendous cash generation and much greater revenue per per patron. He also talked about how he listens to his shareholders, including the apes, the investors who've been caught up in the meme stock mania, and some of whom even don't care for me. Listen to this. I look at these um, millions of individual investors as uh, uh, who really... uh, uh, came on the scene just in the last six months. They're the owners of my company. Uh, 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 they don't work for me. I work for them. They're my bosses. Look, putting it all together, he wove a story about the magic of democratic capitalism. And that's how AMC could raise money from a group of regular people who believe in the stock. And that money's allowed them to save jobs even in the midst of pandemic when we have uh, countless stay-at-home entertainment options. Yep, he's putting on a great show. And the highlight of that show is AMC stock, which is up roughly 1,400% for the year, largely because Adam's both a good operator and a charismatic leader. He refused to believe his company was a corner. Instead, he stoked the flames to keep it alive. Now, AMC has $2 billion in cash, an all-time record for the century-old business. He raised $5 billion on the backs of the apes, so now the company can hang on for years until the crowds come back. Of course, he won't have to wait long because it looks like the crowds are already there, albeit not for the Suicide Squad. People still love going to the movies, though. Who else has this combination? It's a killer combination. Great showman and great operator. Well, how about Elon Musk? Again, when he was relentlessly mocked for his antics, he never quit. Musk ended up one of the richest people on Earth because despite the skeptics, he managed to make Tesla extraordinarily sexful. It's a great, successful company, and you should still own it. As the stock went higher, the endless catcalling continued. The whole way he laughed and cajoled and cursed out his critics, and he blew them all up. Who else fits the pattern? I always like the outspoken John Ledger, the man who built T-Mobile into a powerhouse by turning into the uncarrier. Ledger created a corporate culture that was both was more David than Goliath, although uh, there were two Goliaths, Verizon and ATT, which, of course, he called Dumb and Dumber. Lots of times on interview, John, I was shocked that he could be so glib about the competition's failings. But John was a tremendous operator and truly brought home the bacon. Adam Aaron, Elon Musk, John Ledger, they all had great execution and great showmanship which is why they've been able to deliver such fantastic returns. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 